the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Torrid News. Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park and 910 WTWD Plant City. It's time for Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. It's a message to us. It's a challenge that if no one else hears the Lord speaking and you hear him, you deal with your own sin. Even if others don't respond and they do not return to their first love and they don't even get it and it makes no impact on them, if you're convicted of sin and the Spirit of God is dealing with your heart, you know that your love for Christ has diminished. Then Jesus said, return to the wonderful fellowship that you once had and you can have again and stand alone if necessary, even if no one else responds. From Lakeside Community Chapel, this is Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff. It's a joy to welcome you back again for this second part of Pastor Steve's study on Christ's message to the church at Ephesus. Today, Steve will be talking about losing our first love, as happened at this early New Testament church. Get your Bible out if you can and open it to Revelation chapter 2. Now to begin our class, here is Pastor Steve. Also, in addition to being sensitive to sin, this was a church that had very high standards concerning the leadership. The leadership. Notice the last phrase. I read it just a moment ago in verse 2. You put to the test those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be false. They didn't tolerate false leaders, men coming into their assembly saying, I'm, I'm called to be an apostle. And I'm called to be a leader here. Jesus said, or Paul said rather, in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, when he spoke to the church, the leaders of the church at Ephesus for the last time, he said that after my departure, there will be grievous, savage wolves coming in amongst you to draw disciples away. They're they're false teachers. And here we're seeing that this happened, but this church dealt with it. At least at this point, they did. They dealt with it. They would not let anybody come in and say, I'm going to be a leader here. That's very interesting. Let's jump down to verse 6. This probably ties in with these false apostles. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, who were the Nicolaitans? Well, we're not sure. Nobody knows for certain, but perhaps their name gives us an indication of who they were. Their name in the Greek language is broken down to two words. Bring them together, it means to conquer the people. To conquer the people. Nikeo means to conquer. That's where the sports uh, label is Nike, overcomer, conqueror, victory. To conquer, and laos means people. So apparently they were a group of men who came into the church to dominate it and lord it over the church, and perhaps even live immorally. Now, folks, 
Doesn't this sound like a great church? Uh, uh, Just a wonderful church. An appealing church. Uh, They were sound. They were sound in theology. They were aggressive. They were active in serving the Lord. They were loyal even in the fear of opposition. They were morally pure. They They had healthy leadership. So they were sound in their lives and sound in their doctrine. From what we can see, this was a marvelous church, a wonderful church. If there was a book back then written about great churches in the ancient world, this would, this would be one of those. But the problem is we can't see inside of the hearts. We can't see beneath the surface. We can only see the outside. Our Lord sees the heart. There's nothing that's hidden from him. So he moves from commending the church to condemning them. He sees something he does not like. And so he condemns them. Verse 4. But I have this against you. That you have left your first love. You've left your first love. They had abandoned their first love for Jesus Christ. That's what he means. Now that's not to say that they, they didn't love him anymore. Once you are a believer you love him forever. They still loved him. But essentially as we would put it. The honeymoon was over. Their love for Christ had grown routine, just like when a husband and wife begin to take each other for granted. They still love each other, but the warmth, the thrill, they're gone. They may look good on the outside, but inside things have cooled off. Now, this doesn't happen overnight. It's just a gradual slipping, a gradual pulling apart. So I read this, my question is, does this description, Lord, fit our church? Then I think, Lord, does this description fit me? Does it fit you? It's our love for Christ, not fresh. Lacking passion, the passion is gone. The fervent love of our conversion days have waned. Can it be that we are like Ephesus? Active, loyal to Christ, doctrinally pure. We can spot a heretic coming a mile away and we'll deal with it, separated from sin. But could it be in the midst of all of that, that our love for him has cooled down? Our love for Christ is not all-consuming. We may love the church, but our focal point is the church and not Christ. We might even love doctrine and yet not Christ. And I understand we can't separate doctrine from him. We have to be careful. How can you know if you've left your first love? Well, one of the indications is what you talk about. If you want to talk about Christ, it's because Christ is bubbling over in your heart. I've just been reading, in fact, our Friday morning men's Bible study is reading a very wonderful book by Rick Holland, who ministered here a few years ago. He was our men's retreat speaker. He's written a new book. Actually, I think it's his only book called Uneclipsing the Sun. Son is S-O-N, meaning the Son of God. Here's what he said. He says, what we love, we talk about. Finding out what your love is, is easy enough. Simply listen to yourself talk. Our emotions capture thoughts, ideas, and concepts and store them in our hearts. As we meditate on them, they bubble over into our speech. 
He says that others know if your heart is flooded with the light of Christ or drowning in the cares and pursuits of the world, the reoccurring themes that fill our conversations do not lie. He writes, the danger of worldliness is seen in its power to eclipse our love for Jesus, and perhaps nowhere is this more apparent than in our speech. If your heart is captured by sports, clothes, games, cars, or self, then Jesus is crowded out of your speech. But as Jesus rises to the surface of your affections, he will become uneclipsed in your life. When this happens, he will become the one you can't stop talking about. Your heart will overflow with the truth of who he is and what he has done. That's very convicting, isn't it? Very convicting. So how do you know if you've left your first love? Well, one of the ways is to evaluate what, what do you talk about. And also, would you rather read about the Bible or the Bible? Are you more comfortable talking about church issues and affairs and ministries than about Jesus himself? Do you focus more on spiritual leadership personalities in the church or on Christ himself. Does going to church, is it a chore? Not really a joy, not a privilege. Oh yeah, it's Sunday. This is what I do. You see, it's possible for us to look good on the outside, but inside things can be wrong. The typical evangelical church, I think, fits the description of the church at Ephesus. Active, busy, people perhaps even coming to to faith, baptisms, ministries are increasing, missionary work is, is going on, always something happening, and yet the Lord says that you have a heart problem. You've left your first love. You may be consumed with the faith, but not consumed with me. I never failed to read this and study this portion of Scripture, and I've taught on this, and I've studied it many, many times, and I'm always convicted. Always convicted. I think the key thought here that the Lord is conveying is that in light of the fact that this was a very good-looking church on the outside, He's telling us that it's easy to get caught up in church work, ministry, and even the Bible, and yet still be condemned by Him because we're not caught up with him. Do you remember the two sisters, Mary and Martha? One was busy preparing and serving Christ. The other just wanted to sit at his feet and worship and listen to him. And Jesus said, that's the priority. That's the priority. I remember when Michelle and I were dating, and then later we were engaged for a year. I could not get her off my mind, nor did I want to get her off my mind. When I would be with her, my heart would beat fast. I couldn't take my eyes off of her. I did things for her because I was absolutely thrilled with her, and I just could hardly believe that someone this wonderful could love me. I remember my friend Phil Johnson saying, you know, it's so obvious that you love her just the way you you look at her. I I don't know, just because my eyes were bulging and I was drooling. I I don't know if that gave it away, but I wasn't aware of that. But you know, first love for our Lord is similar in the sense that there's something that is exciting and, and wonderful in getting to know him and the thrill to know about him and to learn about him and to draw closer to him and to just out of gratitude be so thrilled that someone this amazing would love us. Folks, that's That's first love. That's the love that we had in our 
newly converted days. So the x-ray has revealed a problem. How do we correct this problem then? How do we correct it? Well, our Lord now is moving through the church at Ephesus. He has commended them. He has condemned them. Now he corrects them. Verse 5 is the correction. Therefore, therefore meaning since you have left your first love, therefore remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. The Lord gives us a threefold remedy to correct the problem of the loss of first love for him. First of all, he says, number one, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. In other words, remember back to the days following your conversion. Remember what it was like. Remember how thrilled you were to know me. Remember that. Remember the warmth of your fellowship with me. What it was like when I became real in your life. You couldn't stop thinking about me. You couldn't stop talking about me. You had to just share with everyone. Remembering is the first step. Remember the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. It's when he remembered his home that he made the first move towards it. He remembered his home and he longed for it. So Jesus said, remember what it was like when you were first converted and long for that again. Secondly, he says, repent. Remember, then repent. That means confess your sin. Change your ways. Turn from the coldness that you now have, the the lack of first love. Turn from that. So tell him that you want his tender love again. You want to have the warmth of fellowship with him. Repent of the things that got you sidetracked. Perhaps love of money. Love of success, television, sports, anything that got you sidetracked. And then he says, thirdly, return. He said, and do the things you did at first. Return to the things you did when you first fell in love with Jesus. When he first drew you to himself. The the warmth and vibrancy of those early days. What was it that kept your heart aflame? Bible study? Devotions? Quiet time? You witnessed regularly. You were in real fellowship with him and with other believers. You spent time in prayer, meditating on the word of God. There was obedience. You were thrilled. You learned something new in scripture and you obeyed. You worshiped him. Jesus says, get back to the things that made you glow with love for me. Get back. It worked back then. It'll work again. So what if we don't do this? We've been given the remedy, but what if we don't do this? What if our church does not correct itself? What if you don't correct yourself and you just continue a lack of first love for him? Well, there are consequences, and that's where he moves from commending the church to condemning the church to correcting the church. Now there are consequences for a lack of repentance. The rest of verse 5 says this, or else, meaning if you don't do this, or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. In other words, if there's no repentance, the lights go out. Now, this does not mean that the church goes out of existence. It doesn't mean that at all. But it does mean that the church may very well continue standing, be even active, but it will lose its effectiveness. It'll lose its effectiveness as a testimony, as a light bearer for Jesus Christ. It may still exist, 
but the vibrancy will be gone. You know, the, the only purpose for a lampstand is to have light so that the light is shining. If the light goes out, a lampstand is of no use. It's just taking up space. So an individual Christian who has no first love for Christ becomes essentially useless. And a church, a church without love is useless. Church without love for Christ, always repenting, always saying, Lord, I want to be in the warmest of fellowships with you. I want you to be the center of my life. But church doesn't do that. It's useless. Today, the city of Ephesus actually doesn't exist. The area is desolate today. And in that area of the world, the main faith there, in the area where Ephesus once stood, the religion that dominates is Islam. I don't even know if there are any believers there. The light did go out eventually. The light did go out. What do we do with a diagnosis like this? Realistically, you know what? Not everyone, not everyone, the church at Ephesus or our church, is going to respond to repent. So Christ gives a challenge to the church. It's a challenge to individuals. The church may not even respond, but if you hear his voice, you respond. Notice, we already dealt with verse 6. Notice verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit, meaning the Spirit of God, says to the churches. The thought here is listen up. That's what we would say. Listen up and respond to this message. Return to your first love. He who has an ear, who can hear what the Spirit of God is saying through the pages of Scripture, respond. This is a message for every church then. It's not just for the church at Ephesus. Primarily it's to them, but it's for all. Because notice, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to not simply this church, but to the churches. So this message to Ephesus is a message to all churches and to all Christians. It's a message to us. It's a challenge that if no one else hears the Lord speaking and you hear him, you deal with your your own sin. Even if others don't respond and they do not return to their first love and they don't even get it and it makes no impact on them, if you're convicted of sin and the Spirit of God is dealing with your heart, and yes, you you have, though you may be very active in ministry and everybody thinks you're a wonderful Christian, and in your heart you know that your love for Christ has diminished, then Jesus said, return. Return to the wonderful fellowship that you once had and you can have again. This is a challenge for us to personally respond and stand alone if necessary, even if no one else responds. Finally, the Lord closes this message to Ephesus with a promise that ought to encourage each of us to return to full fellowship with the Lord himself. The rest of verse 7 says this, to him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, what does he mean by this? First of all, who is an overcomer? This is not a super duper Christian. According to 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, overcomer is another name for believer. He who overcomes is the one who believes in Jesus Christ. The tree of life was that tree in the garden of Eden in the very presence of God that Adam was, after he sinned, barred from paradise so that he would not partake 
of the tree of life and live forever in his sinful state. But those who believe in the Lord Jesus will someday eat of the tree of life. Why do I say that? Because the end of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 2 says this, way down the road in the millennial kingdom, in the middle of its street, on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. People are going to come in the millennial kingdom and going to eat of the tree of life and fellowship with Christ and live forever. So what is our Lord saying here? He's saying someday you're going to be enjoying perfect love and perfect fellowship with me in heaven. So why don't you start loving me like that right now? Someday it will be a reality. Your love for me will be perfect. Why don't you start right now repenting and getting back to your first love? You see, folks, our Lord above everything else wants our love. He wants our love. And he won't settle for anything less, even if you're very active in serving, even if you're very concerned about purity, even if you are very concerned about toiling for him and you persevere and you're bold in the midst of opposition, it matters nothing if you don't have first love for him. So if you've grown cold in your love for Christ, perhaps routine, remember. Remember where you've fallen. Repent of your sin. Tell him you want that warmth reestablished. And then return. Return to him. And then the light will continue to shine from you out to others. And if we do this as a church, it'll continue to shine from us. If you need some supplementary help, I'd recommend this book, Uneclipsing the Sun by Rick Holland. It will stir your heart. This is all about what this book is about. You may not use the word first love, but that's what it's about. If you have never, ever had first love for Christ, it's because you've never come to to know him. You need to first repent of your sin of rebellion and turn to Christ and trust him as the one who died on the cross, paying for your sin. You need to trust him as your Lord and Savior. Fall in love with him and then continue that love relationship. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, I know my heart stirred in going over this. And so I suspect that others are stirred as well, Lord. I pray that you will help us to do exactly what you want us to do, Lord. That nothing would come between each of us and you. Lord, help us to repent of anything that has taken the place of first love in our lives when it should only be you. Even our families, ministry, work, even things that are neutral, but we've made too much of them. Perhaps sports, perhaps certain activities, perhaps retirement. Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God will convict us and give us wisdom to know what we need to repent of and that we would return to those things that gave us the great warmth of fellowship with you. Not, not an emotional buzz because we walk by faith, not by feeling. But Lord, those things that stirred our hearts to love you Bible study that was not simply academic. It wasn't preparing a lesson. It was just letting you speak to us. Spending time in prayer. 
meditating on your word, fellowshipping with you, singing songs to you, worshiping you, sharing the gospel with others, just addressing sin in our lives. Lord, I pray that you'll return us, each of us, to that place. And I pray, Lord, as a church body, that we will be everything good that you write about, that Ephesus was good, but everything bad about the first love, I pray that'll change. But I pray that you'll help us in the midst of the pagan world that we live in to be just like them and yet to do this with the first love in mind. It's very easy when you're a second and third and even beyond generation Christian. Lord, may we have the fervency of the early Christians, the love that they had, the excitement that they had in falling in love with you and being amazed that you who are so glorious would love them. May we have that too, Lord. We pray this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being in our class today. In tomorrow's discussion, Pastor Steve will be continuing this study of Christ's messages to the seven churches with a look at Smyrna. If you would like to hear this message again, go to our webpage at www.versebyverseradio.org where you can stream it or download the entire two-part message. You may call us at 727-239-0306 to order a CD. That's versebyverseradio.org or 727-239-0306. Remember, Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry. Your help is greatly appreciated. I'm your announcer, Ken Anderson. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Glad you're with us this Christmas, and we hope you'll stay on after the tree's put away, along with that last batch of Christmas cookies and pie. Merry Christmas from your friends at Faith Talk 570 and 910 WTBN. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.